Well, you may be seated as you turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 9 or just look up on the screen, whichever way you prefer. There's a pastor who finally got the opportunity to speak to a large community association that was gathering. He felt rather proud when he was asked to come and to speak. And after he he spoke to a, this large crowd, but the largest crowd he had ever spoke to, uh, they presented him with a check for coming in to speak. And he uh, he just told him, he says, you know, it was special. I felt special enough just being asked to come out here and to speak. Uh, I really don't want to accept the check. He said, is there another place that you can give that to or some other cause that you can give that to? He says, well, actually, we have a fund that uh, we could put this to. And so he just happened to ask. He said, what's the fund for? Well, the fund is so that we can get a better speaker next year. <laughs> oh, boy, sometimes we can get a little prideful, a little, little humility needs to come in, right? <laughs> We're talking about grace here this morning. Boy, it's important for us to know how much grace is involved in our life. As we look at the things involved with thanksgiving, making sure the right stuff is on the inside of us, not the wrong stuff. We want to make sure that pride is gone, humility is there, thankfulness, not complaining. Over in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to take a look at Saul and David, how they were selected, stories I know we're all familiar with. But we're going to look at some things area in, in the area of grace, humility, and pride. In uh, chapter 9, verse 1, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacharath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So here we have a description. He was son of a mighty man. He was tall and handsome. And those are the descriptions we're given. Now, not necessarily the qualifications of a king, but this is the description we're given of Saul as he was chosen. That he was tall. Now, you can imagine, you know, he was so, so tall that he was head and shoulders above everyone else. You could spot him in a crowd. I guess it's good for a king to be tall. Sometimes better than a short king that can come on up. But he was tall, he was handsome, and he was son of a mighty man of power. Saul too was a good warrior. He was a strong warrior. And Jonathan, his son, was a strong warrior. It seems like those things run in the family. Now he was on assignment here. He was given an assignment. His uh, father had lost some of his donkeys. And so he sent his son out to go find them in verse 3. Now the, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. How long would you go searching for donkeys? When they had come to the, to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God. He is honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here, a, here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of the Lord, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to his servant, Well, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, Yes, there he is just ahead. Hurry now, for today he came to the city because there is a sacrifice to the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to find to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore, go up. For about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city. As they were coming in, in, into the city, there was Samuel. 
coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So when Saul, Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up therefore, meet, go with me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family the least of the family of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Now Samuel took Saul and his servants and brought them into the hall and had them sit in a place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. And Samuel took said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you since I, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on top of the house and they arose early. And it was about, about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house saying, Go up that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. And we'll get into some other of these things later, but he, he goes over and speaks some things over to him. Let's take a look at this, uh, what's going on here so far. We know this, that uh, Saul's been traveling for three days looking for donkeys. Now to put this in perspective, just so you don't lose sight of this, just imagine if your dog or your cat got out and you said to your son, go find the dog, go and find the cat. And the son went out and came back three days later. What would you think? Go out there and find that dog. The dog got lost. How, how soon do you expect the son to come back? An hour. Depends how much the son likes the dog, how much the son likes the cat. Maybe shorter. But, but uh, it, you don't expect days. You don't send the son out, go out there and find the dog, go out there and find the cat, and you know I'll see you in a week. No, you expect, you know, the cat, how far can the cat get away? How far can the dog go? And how far do you want the son or the daughter to, to go out there and to, to find this thing? But Saul, you know, these are, are production animals, I guess, and maybe they spend a little more time, but three days is a long way to go, unless, of course, they were uh, finding some signs that they had gone certain ways and, and were, were tracking that. But it didn't seem to be, be that Saul was the best tracker because they had already gone home and he was still out there looking. So I began to think about this this morning and just kind of ponder on this a little bit. And uh, something that, saw, that Samuel said struck me. Actually, something the Lord said to Samuel. Verse 16, Tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Now, why is Saul going to, to Samuel? To inquire about the donkeys, right? But why is Saul really going? He is sent by God. Saul is sent by God. Now we know that Saul, he's thinking that uh, his father might be more concerned with him being gone all this time than the donkeys. But I began to ponder on this a little bit. I was thinking, maybe Saul had this etching in his spirit. Now keep going. Don't, don't go back yet. Keep going. Maybe he hit the first place and they weren't there and he's ready to go back and you know they weren't, they weren't around. Maybe they'll just wait and see. But the Spirit of God said, no, go on. And so he went on to the next place. And the Spirit of God said, no, go on some further. And he's made, he might actually be following after his Spirit. Because the Word of God does say that the Lord would send them. Didn't say that Saul would happen upon him. Said, I'm going to send you this guy. So if God's going to send them, God must be doing something on Saul's side to bring him over to Samuel. Now we also know that Samuel says to him, I'm going to tell you all that is on your heart. And oh, by the way, the donkeys are already found. So the, the donkeys were not all that was on Saul's heart. That may have been the motivation to get there, but God had been sending Saul to Samuel. 
And God had also been dealing with Saul and some things. So we know at this point in his life, Saul can hear from God because he's heard what God has been saying about being king. He may not want to receive it, but he's been hearing it. And he's wondering what to do with this. I don't, I don't know what to do with this. And so Samuel says to him, I'm going to tell you all that's in your heart. And he does speak some things to him and you can go on later on if you want to and take a look at that. There's quite a few things that uh, Saul has to say. But we just wanted to get an idea of who this, this Saul was. And when... Samuel says to him about, talks to him about being king. His first thing is, but I am of the least of the tribes of Israel. And my family is the least of that fam, of that tribe. Basically, he's saying, I'm nothing. There, there's, there's no real good reason for me to, to be doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm really nothing. Saul was humble. In uh, chapter 15, in verse 17, when the Lord has to rebuke Saul, he said, basically, when I called you, you were little in your own eyes. But now he was big. A humble person is small in their own eyes. A prideful person is big in their own eyes. Now, a, a humble person is not spotted because they think less or little of themselves. Please understand that. Humble people do not think little of themselves. For the Word of God itself, Jesus Himself proclaims to us, He says, do not think of yourselves more highly then you ought to. A humble person has a true self-awareness. They know what they ought to be thinking about themselves. They know how much they ought to be thinking, how little they ought to be thinking. They know where their strengths are. They know where their weaknesses are. A person who says, I'm weak in everything, doesn't know who they are and is not humble. A person who says, I'm strong in everything, doesn't know who they are. you got to know who you are. Understand, those are, that's something I'm not strong in. This is something I am strong in. I'm good at this. I can get in there. I can get this done. And that's what you you want to see done. You know that everybody has different skills. Everybody has different the things that make you good at one thing make you bad at something else. Isn't that the way that it is? You get, you develop skills in one area. It's not going to make you so good in some other areas. And that's okay. It's fine to to, to be that way. Some of the skills that can make you good. At, uh, at cooking or at sewing may not make you good at some other things that you want to be good at. But that's alright. Let the other people be good at those things. You be good at what you're good at. We don't have to be good at everything. You know, sports teams, they have people of all different shapes and sizes. Uh, John and Corey played on sports teams. Uh, Brandon, and they're all three different body types. Uh, John was not a wide receiver. He's not built like a wide receiver. Wide receivers aren't a bit like John. But Corey wouldn't do so well on the line. Corey's not built for the line. He's built for a wide receiver. He's built to cover people and, and does a good job with that. We got to see them all, all play at times and, and, and that's good. And, uh, and Brandon's got a little bit more stocky built. He's good for some other areas. Everything is different. Just because you are built differently doesn't mean that you're no good. Just because you can't do one position doesn't mean you're no good for any of them. Understand what you're good at. And be good at that. Saul just says, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. I'm no good. And he's actually a very good warrior. He was born of a family of warriors. And he probably at this point in time was a good warrior. It's not something he became a good warrior when he became king. But he's not, a, he's not quite able to, to admit that. You do have to be careful. If you have a false sense of who you are, you can become susceptible to pride. Even though your talk is very small. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. Uh, there's just nothing good about me. You can be very susceptible to pride. Make sure you have a good self-awareness. There's nothing wrong with standing up and saying, Hey, I'm good at that. I can take care of that for you. Nothing wrong with that at all. Understand I'm good at that. I can take care of that. I'm not so good at that. You really don't want me messing with that. You know, if you have a problem that involves material and fabric and sewing, don't call me. I am lousy at it. I understand that I'm lousy at it. And I am perfectly content with letting other people take care of that who are better at it. I don't try and, and hone my skills at sewing. If I need a button put on. you know, I told you the story before. I got one of those little button kits. Tried it one time. Didn't work. At least I couldn't get it to work. It may work for other people who are more skilled at it. I couldn't get it to work. So I now, if uh, I just take it over to the dry cleaner, there's a button missing. And I'll pay for the shirt to be dry cleaned then. Otherwise, I just wash them. But, uh, you know, I understand where my weaknesses are. I understand where your weaknesses are. 
we can surely understand even better as time goes on where our weaknesses are, where our strengths are. So let's, let's understand that. Let's, let's get a handle on it. Saul doesn't really have a good handle of it. And God has to rebuke him. The reason that he was selected was not because he was son of a mighty, mighty and powerful warrior. Not because he was tall. Not because he was handsome. It's because he was of his humility. God saw some humility in there. Now, it needed to be refined. Again, there was some false humility in with him, but he, he was small in his own eyes. God himself said, you were little in your own eyes when I called you. Again, for the search for the donkeys, either he's not good at it or he is following the direction of God. I think he was following the direction of God the more I was looking at that this morning. But when it's come times to anoint him, he's hiding. He's hiding. I'm nobody. He's back into that nobody mentality. I'm nobody. I'm of the family of nobody. I'm in the tribe of nobody. I shouldn't be in this place. And he's hiding from it all. And they had to come out there and find him and bring him on in. This is how Saul was selected. This is how he was picked. Was he picked because of good things in him? Basically, folks, it comes down to this. He was picked because of the grace of God. It was the grace of God that caused him to be picked. God looked down at him and says, Look, you don't deserve this. But I am going to select you to be king. So often, when we get picked to do something, we want to say, Oh, I deserve this. Oh, I was good. I've been waiting for this. I've been serving. I've been faithful for so long. And now I picked this. Now I was picked for this. Oh, I deserve for this to be going on. I should be in this spot. It's because I was faithful. It's because I was this. It's because I was that. No, understand. It's the grace of God. We must always be understanding that what we have is the grace of God. Always be thankful. If you can maintain an attitude of thankfulness, you will find yourself staying in a place of humility. It is hard for thankful people to be prideful. In fact, I think it's just about impossible. Because prideful people are generally not thankful people. Prideful people are people that are saying, Good job. I did all right with that. I deserve that. That should be mine. But thankful people are always aware. Father God, I thank you for putting this on me. I thank you for giving me this talent. I thank you for giving me this ability. I thank you for putting this on and I'm going to do this for your glory. But I know that apart from you, I'm nothing. Apart from you, I, I can't do a thing. I'm just glad to be part of your kingdom. And we stay thankful. We stay in that area. It keeps you in that area of, of true humility. Over in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we have David's being selected. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being, from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending, to, sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now you get up there and you start talking with God. You may want to ask God this question. Why didn't you just say David? I mean, why not? If you're going to call out Jesse, the dad, why not call out David? I think I'm going to ask God that question when I get up to the heaven. Why make it hard? Jesse's got all these sons. Why make him go through all that? Just go up there and say, look, I want you to anoint David, son of Jesse. You come to the house of Jesse, say, where's David? David's out in the sheep. All right, go get him. And we, and we, don't, we don't have any of the other problem, and we eat sooner. You know? It's just a whole lot better. We eat dinner a whole lot sooner. But no. God's got to say, go to the house of Jesse. I'm going to show you which one. And it's not that Samuel can't hear. Samuel hears all kinds of stuff. He heard about Saul. I'm going to send you a guy tomorrow. He's the king. And so Samuel heard it so clearly. He goes to him and says, see this section of meat? Put this aside. I'll tell you what to do with it tomorrow. And when he comes on up, he brings him up to the feast. And he says, I told him to set this aside for you yesterday. That's a man who can hear from God. But a God only tells him, go up to Jesse's house. He's got a boy I want you to take care of. And Samuel says, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint from me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, I don't know how many times that Samuel went to a city and brought bad stuff to it. As far as I know, every time Samuel went into a place, it was good. But for some reason, 
they uh, were a little nervous. Sanctify yourselves and come to me, come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Why? Well, I mean, Saul, what were the, what were the things we saw about Saul? He was tall. He was a warrior. He was handsome. And so I'm sure that the first son he saw was probably in that mold. And, and Samuel has gotten used to, this is the mold. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now Samuel may be thinking, Yeah, but, but Saul's appearance was pretty good on the outward side. Well, just because you have a good appearance on the outward side doesn't mean you're disqualified. Thank God for that, huh? Just because you're, you're, uh, you look like you could fit the role of a king doesn't mean you're automatically disqualified as far as God is concerned. So God picked Saul before and he was the tallest, he was handsome, he was big and strong. But then here comes another guy similar and uh, God says, no, that's not it. So Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, nope, not it either. Jesse made Shammah pass. And he said, Neither has this has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Now you better know that you're hearing from God. This is how you know Samuel really had a good relationship with this. When a father brings you all his sons and has them all, has them all lined up and he passes them before you and you get to the last one and God says, Nope. And you say to the father, Do you have any more? Maybe you forgot one. I don't know if you're if you're Jesse, aren't you? And the, the prophet is here. Aren't you bringing them all out? You would think that. And I, I'm if I'm Samuel, I'm thinking, what do you mean? This is you said one of them. Here they all are. Surely he brought them all out here. But Samuel is so confident, he just says, "You got any more? Any more lying around the house? Didn't make, didn't make it out yet? Going on a trip somewhere?" And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And he said, Well, that remains the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. You can obviously see that Jesse has a high opinion of David. <laughs> ah, there's the, there's the youngest. And what is he? If he thought something of him, he would have brought him. Because they, they, you know, Jewish fathers, they don't look down on the son because they're the youngest. We've seen some that were the youngest that were the favorite. But there's something that he just didn't... He looked at David. He always kind of... Maybe he was small, scrawny. Maybe he didn't hit his growth spurt the way the other boys hit their growth spurt. Uh, maybe he didn't have the same interest. He always is over there with that harp, playing the music. I mean, what good warrior can come out of a musician? I mean, he's over there always playing something. and You know, I keep trying to put a sword in his hand. He kept putting the harp in the hand. I put a spear in the hand. He put a flute in the hand. You know, it's just we just couldn't get this guy... Uh, out there. I don't know what it was, but there was something that with Jesse, he just didn't take to, to David as much and didn't have as much respect for him. And he just left him out there in the field. Probably Jesse had decided, well, all right, if he wants to anoint one of my sons for a service of some sort, D David's not it. We don't even need to bring him up there. We just have to send somebody else out there to watch the sheep. And he's out there doing a fine job. So we'll just let him stay on out there. There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Now we see later on that some of the other brothers have kind of a resentment towards David. I'm sure that that doesn't help. If you already have you know, one of the siblings you kind of have some resentment for, and you're all waiting to sit down and do something, and we're waiting on David. I mean, it's not David's fault. Nobody went and got him. But that doesn't always uh, jive with brothers and sisters. How many of y'all been big families? You know, you're waiting on a brother and sister. You don't care what the reason he was. It's their fault. That's just how it is. Y'all know it's their fault. They're not here. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. Whoops, verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. So those are our qualifications. Those are our, not qualifications, but a description of him. A little different from Saul. 
bright eyes. We didn't hear anything about Saul's eyes. Good looking. We heard, we heard from, uh, about Saul. He was extremely handsome. Uh, but this one is, is good looking and ruddy. What in the world is ruddy? <laughs> well, you know, I guess it can mean all kinds of different things to different people, but I guess, you know, he's, uh, he's out there with the sheep. He's probably not the cleanest of, of folks and, but anyway, he's, he's ruddy. I don't know, but if I'm going to find a king, I think I want to find somebody who's different from ruddy. Bright eyes. This is supposed to be our deliverer. This is the guy who's supposed to go and lead us in the battle. And this isn't quite what we're looking for. Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. He doesn't question it. Good to Samuel. He may have had some questions like Jesse did when he looked on him. But he didn't question it. He knew God says this is it. So he just goes up, rises up, anoints him. And anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. His brothers were there in the midst. His brothers saw this go on. Now they already apparently have some type of resentment toward him. And I'm sure this doesn't help out much. Because David was selected over all of us. And he gets anointed. And we all have to sit here and watch. David gets anointed. And the Spirit of God came down upon David. We don't know if there was anything visible that went on. When, when it did with Saul, there were some visible things that happened. And he began to prophesy. And he began to say, is Saul among the prophets? We don't hear of that happening with David. But can the Spirit of the Lord come upon someone and not change them? Something, I'm sure, changed with David and they saw the changes in him. Well, we go on. This is how David was selected. Was David selected because of some super kingly quality in him? No, it's once again, it is the grace and the mercy of God. God looks down upon David. God says, I'm, I'm choosing from the inside. I'm looking at the heart of the man. You're looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. I don't care if the outside, what it looks like. It may be big, it may be small, it may be whatever. But I'm looking at the heart of the man. The heart of the man. That's what you got to do. How many of you, we're in the football season. I love football examples. How many of you all remember Buddy Ryan? Remember Buddy Ryan? Buddy Ryan could look at a, at a football player and determine whether they could play ball. All he had to do was sit down and look at him. He'd look him in the eye. He could find out, do they have the heart to play this game? He was one of the most, one of the best coaches at drafting players. Oh, he would draft some of the best guys. Some people that others wouldn't look at a whole lot. But, oh, he would find them. And boy, they were, they were good. And sometimes that'll, that'll happen. I mean, this year, two years ago, we all were all excited around here in this town because Deshaun Jackson's catching everything thrown at him and he runs on the field like everybody else is standing still. I don't know if you've noticed that, if you, if you watch the game at all, but I watched the game and it looks like all the other people defending him are standing still while he runs around them. But everybody avoided him because he was too small, he was too light, and though he was fast, they didn't think he was, he was going to make it, make it out. Yet every single place he went, every high school, every, every, uh, every place in college, he was always setting records and leading in scoring and leading in all kinds of stuff. But they figured, no, he can't make it. And so they took a spin on him here, and boy, are we ever glad, huh? Boy, does he ever, he just makes it look easy. But you see, you can't judge from the outside. You've got to look at the inside. You've got to see the heart of the person. What's the heart? Of that individual. That's what God wants to look at. He wants to, he wants to sit down and look across and say, what is in the heart of the person? The, do they have a heart to be faithful? Do they have a heart to be obedient? Do they have a heart to listen and to yield to the Spirit of God? Is, is this what's in their heart? Or is it in their heart to do their own thing? To not spend the time praying and studying the Word of God and being carried off by every wind of doctrine and all the things that would come along. What is the heart? God cares about the heart of the person. What kind of a player are they going to make in the long run? Not what kind of a player have they been. What are they going to do in the long run? And God looked upon David and He said, what's in this guy's heart will last. Now He looked at Saul and said He was humble. He was small in his eyes and God picked him. And then immediately Saul began to turn. And we've seen other people. We've gone over other people. God picked. And as soon as He picked them, they turned once they got into the position. Jehu, Jeroboam, others, 
As soon as God picked them, they began to change and things began to, to become altered. We have to stand on guard to make sure that what is on the inside of us, the qualities that God saw in us, that said, I'm going to select you for this. I'm going to put you in here. I'm going to have you do this. That those qualities don't go away. Make sure that you guard those qualities. And we've got to know, what are those qualities that God looks at? So far, we see that God loves humble people. And humble people doesn't mean that you don't know what you're doing. And David is going to show us that in this story. Humble, humble person doesn't mean that, oh, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Humble people aren't just going around saying, well, I'm born of the smallest tribe. I'm born of the smallest family. I'm the most insignificant person. Why would you pick me? That's not a humble person. Humble person knows who they are. I, I noticed that David didn't give any excuses for why he shouldn't be king. My picture, and I, you know, get to heaven, we'll figure this out a little bit more, but my picture of all this stuff with David is that David is I've been told all the time by all the brothers, you're nothing. Get out there and take care of them sheep. You're not, You're no good. You're too small. You're too this. You're not going to be... We're, we're the warrior. You don't need to do that. We'll defend you. We'll, we'll take care of the family. You're just, you're just the youngest one. You're, and they're always putting them down. And David, being out there on the sheep fold, watching the sheep, has a lot of time by himself, probably is thinking a whole lot of times about the things that they said. But he never lets it get a hold of him because when Samuel comes and says, you're all going to be a king and anoints him king, he doesn't say, oh, but I'm nobody. Oh, but I'm no good. People have told me my whole life, I'm no good. I won't amount to anything. I'm just good for watching the sheep. And that's it. He doesn't do any of that. He accepts it. He says, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. See, sometimes our definition of humble people is we should, we should disqualify ourselves. No, I really shouldn't take that. No, I, I really shouldn't be king. No, I, I, I'm no good for that. No. Somebody, if, if you are skilled for something and somebody selects you and says, I need you to do this, you should rise up and say, I can do it. I can do it. I can get it done. Because you know your ability. You know what you can do. David knew his ability. and knew what he could do. Well, we had the battle with David and Goliath. The sons are out there fighting the battle. David's at home watching the sheep and he gets called on by his dad to take some nice things, cheeses and nice things up to the boys and the, who are doing the real work. So David does that. He, and he heads on up there as at other times. And it says in verse 22 that David left his supplies, the stuff that he brought, in the hands of the supply keeper and rounded the army and came and greeted his brothers. Boy, I don't know. If you have brothers that every time they're just picking on you, picking on you, picking on you, are you just dropping the stuff off and getting out of there? I think I'm just dropping the stuff off and I'm getting out of there. You know, you guys don't care about me. I brought the stuff on up. I'm out of here. But he goes over there and says, Hey, how y'all doing? How's the war going? How are things happening? Dad wants to hear some stories. You got some stories I can take home to Dad? How many people have you killed? You know, got some Philistines. Have you done? <laughs> he wants to take home some war stories for Dad. Let him know how the brothers are doing and uh, tell them how good they're, they're fighting and stuff like that, which is really a good thing for David because you got people that are picking on you all the time. You may not want to bring back good stories. But he wants to hang out and go over there and talk with the brothers and find out what's going on and please his Dad and bring home some stories. That as he, as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. So he's there talking with the brothers. Now understand, it, it says he's, he's talking with the brothers. How much interest do the brothers have in David's sheep keeping? None. So what are they talking about? They're probably talking about the brothers. And David is finding out all about them, but they're not asking a thing about him. Probably. But David's still okay. He still stays there. He's, he's talking with them, finding out. And he hears this guy interrupt them and he gives the challenge. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And that shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. I mean, that's pretty good. Can you imagine this? No withholding taxes. You got a card when you go to the store, no sales tax. And we got so many taxes here, you, need, you probably need to carry a whole wallet just of cards to exempt you from all the different taxes 
that they try and put on you. But you wouldn't pay any of them. Everybody else would. You wouldn't pay any of them. And David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done? Now, it's not the brothers. See, the brothers are not really going to talk to him about Goliath. You know why? Because Goliath exposes their weakness. They want to talk about stories and talk about their strength. They talk about their great battle things and they can go back and tell dad why you know, they're such a great brother. Why they're so good to have, have around. But he's talking around some of the other guys. And these other guys are saying, yeah, this, he's, he's quite a tall drink of water out there. And uh, most of us are kind of afraid of him. So David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him, spoken in this manner saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is this not a, is, is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So again, you see the attitude from the brothers. This is the oldest brother. He's probably passed on to the other ones. Everybody, you know, pick on David. But, and, and David just kind of says, all right, I know not to get the information from you. He goes over and finds somebody else. He keeps finding, what's gonna, what's gonna happen to the guy who kills this one? That's always the way David talks about it. What's gonna happen to the guy who kills this uncircumcised Philistine. That's how David looks at it. What will happen to the one who kills the uncircumcised Philistine? And he goes up and he talks to, we know of at least three different people getting the story from. It was probably more than that. But the word begins to get around and some of the commanders begin to hear that there's this little kid walking around asking about what's going to happen to the guy who kills the Philistines. And they're saying, you know what? No one is asking about what will happen because everyone's afraid of this guy. No one really cares what the reward is. But this guy does. And so they begin to get word on back and word gets over to Saul. Something about David, though, is different. He's not just talking about it. There is something about the way David does this. He's not coming over as, as prideful. He's not coming over as arrogant. There is something different about David that this young boy who's just been anointed, the Spirit of God is upon him, as he walks on around, the, the commanders are noticing there is something about the way he asks these questions. There's something about it. Because how many times would the king be bothered with a little kid walking around the camp talking about this stuff? He's not old enough to be a warrior, otherwise he'd probably be on the battlefield. Something about how David says this is perking their interest. And so the king says, bring him over here. Let me take a look at this guy. How tall is the king? Head and shoulders above everyone else. So of all the people in the land, who's the closest in height to the giant? The king. The king hasn't gone out there to the battle yet, has he? Now more than likely, you wouldn't send your king out there to do this kind of a battle. So it's not really he's not really in the running for it, but he's a, he's a big guy. He's probably looking for another big guy to get out there and to take this on. And he begins to call this guy in and say, Hey, what's going on? Verse 30, huh? Is that where we got up to? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we read some of those other ones. We'll go on back anyway. We're going to... Yeah, we can do verse 30. Then he turned to him toward another and said the same thing. These people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul... And he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. <laughs> I mean, this is great. Let no one's, don't let any of these guys here that are afraid, don't let, don't let any of their hearts fail. I'll go out and take care of this thing for you. And so, somehow the way that he says this, the king has some interest in this. And he entertains it. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are youth. And he, a man of war from his youth. What is Saul looking at? The outward appearance. 
Outward appearance. What's God looking at? The inside. And I went out of, what, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. <laughs> Look at that. You past tense. You know why he uses past tense? Because he just came from there. He's supposed to go back and watch him. You know why he's using past tense? Because he already sees David, or Goliath as defeated. And you don't see the guy who kills Goliath going back taking care of sheep. In David's mind, he has already defeated the man. I used to keep sheep. That's what I used to do. Now I'm a giant killer. <laughs> Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. That's pretty brazen. I don't know how many of you, if a lion comes, takes one of your sheep, you're sad, but you're not going after it. <laughs> and you're not pulling the lion, the, the, the lamb out of the mouth of the lion. You're thinking, it's already in the mouth, it's probably done. Just let him eat the lamb, he won't eat me. But he takes the lamb out, so the lion gets mad and says, alright, I'm going to come get you. And David says, come on. Come on then. And uh, we know who won. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Now see, his, his whole reasoning for this is not because of the greatness of David, not because of his greatness of his fighting skills. He's just saying, he's not, he's not, he's not trying to use the lion and the bear, saying, look, my qualities are, qualifications are, I can kill lions and I can kill bears so I can kill the giant. He's just basically saying that the lion came after the sheepfold. The bear came after the sheepfold. And the shepherd guards the sheepfold. And as this uncircumcised Philistine has come after the sheepfold, he'll die just like them. That's all he's really saying. This Philistine will be like, like them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. No one talks like this with Saul. No one sees this as the armies of the living God and that this guy has come out and defied them. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. It must have been mighty convincing that Saul is not just taking a shot with David because there are repercussions if David loses. There are repercussions if the man that Saul picked to go out to battle loses badly. This will look bad on Saul. This is not a good thing to do. Something has gone on. See, the anointing is upon David and it changes him. And Saul sees the anointing. He doesn't recognize it as the kingly anointing, but he sees the anointing, the power of God, the confidence of God. And he says, there is no one in my whole army that has this kind of confidence to go out before the enemies of God. There is no one in the whole army who talks about the enemies of God the way this man talks about the enemies of God. He says, you go ahead on out because you'll win. By the time he leaves, he has Saul is convinced that he's going to win as David is convinced that he will win. So Saul, while well, we can go on, the, you can read the rest of it. You know the rest of the story. Saul puts his stuff on it doesn't fit, doesn't like it. He says, I need to go out with what I'm used to. And he goes on out and of course he kills Goliath. The life of David. We look at how David stands up here. And sometimes we can think David is not humble. Yes, he is. He is Humble because the life of David, David is always thankful. He is thankful to his God that he has been able to watch over the sheep. He's thankful to his God that he has the gift of music that he can play and he can hone that while he's watching over the sheep. He's thankful to his God who delivered into his hand the lion, who delivered into his hand the bear. He is thankful to his God for all the things that he has. And he has been thankful to his God despite being persecuted by brothers by not being respected by his father. By being dissed when he comes out and he asks about what will the reward be for the one who kills this uncircumcised Philistine. You see, he's asking all these people, just making sure this is what it is because he's envisioning what's it going to be like to marry the king's daughter? What's it going to be like when I get to go home and tell dad no more taxes? Can you imagine being David? He's just imagining he thought I'd amount to nothing. He thought I wouldn't do anything at all. I'm going to get to go home and say to Dad, no more 
Texas. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Thankful is confident. It's in your outline. Thankful is confident. Thankful people are confident people. When you are a thankful person, you are confident. Thankful is confident, is confident, not prideful. There is a difference between being confident and being prideful. And David is confident because he is a thankful person. He always maintains being a thankful person. Fearful is not thankful. We see that the rest of the army is in fear when this giant comes up. They run away in fear. They are scared of this guy. Thankful people do not become fearful. The reason you become fearful is because you have become ungrateful for something. Because you are not thankful for something. You don't recognize what you have. You become fearful because you realize I need something and I don't have it. And you're not thankful. But David, the whole time, Philistine, Spirit of God. Dead man, live warrior. I'm going to go out there and take care of him. Because after this, my life will change. My life will will change. David is confident in God. He is strong in the Lord. And he is bold before God's armies. Or God's enemies. He is confident in God. He is strong in the Lord. And he is bold before God's armies. That's a thankful person. Thankful people will do this. Thankful people do not disqualify themselves for service. Thankful people do not go around saying, I'm no good at that when they are. He is thankful for what God has called him to and he is satisfied that God will establish it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Isn't that right? It's by grace. We didn't do anything for it. It, It's by grace. We had to accept it, but it's by grace. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His greatness, of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is involved, folks, but it is also by faith. And faith is confident. Faith is not wishy. Faith is not wandering. It is by grace And it is through faith. So, it is because of what God did. It's not because of what I did. I didn't, it's not my righteousness. It's His righteousness. I understand that. But I have faith in the righteousness of God. So I can stand before God and say, I'm clean. And I'm confident that way. I can stand before the enemy and say, I'm clean. Because God made me that way. David can stand before the enemy and not be mindful of all the things that he missed it on, but be mindful of his God. For it is by grace and it is through faith. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we walk in such a way as to say, I am no good, I won't amount to anything. I can't do that. What we are saying is, God, you made a poor product. For we are His workmanship. I do not want to stand before God and say, God, you messed up when you made me. You made somebody with no talent and no ability. You made someone who can't get anything done. No, God did not mess up when He made you. God made You need to stand up there and say, I am His workmanship. And God did good when He made me. And that's not prideful. That's actually humble. Because it's by the grace of God. God has done great things. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. If the devil can get you off of this, he gets you out of the good works area. That's what you were created for. He wants you to be thinking, always mindful of your of uh, your insecurities. Always mindful of your areas that you don't measure up. Always mindful of what's not going right. He wants you mindful of those things because then you don't do anything. 
You were not created to sit around. You were created for good works. You are His workmanship. You have been created. You have been crafted. You have been molded by God, equipped with what He says you need to get done what you were called to do. Amen. So you're just going back here and said it's by grace. The devil wants to get in there and get you prideful and say, well, it's just because you're so good. No, it's by grace. It's by grace. I do whatever I do by grace. It's by grace. And it can be any kind of, all kinds of things. It isn't just, you know, being in a church and preaching. There is the grace of God to play football. There are some players out there, it is by the grace of God they play football and they're always talking about it. It's by God's grace. God gives me the ability to do it. And they use what they gain in the sport that they're in to glorify God. They have the grace of God to play football. Some people have the grace of God to work in a factory. Some people have the grace of God to be an engineer. Some people have the grace of God to handle money. Some people have the grace of God to make money. And they make it well. And God's equipped them to do that. And the devil wants to say, oh, what you're doing is no good for the kingdom. Give it up and do this instead. And some people listen to it. Don't listen to it. God has carved you out. Made you to do what He wants you to do by His grace. And He's equipped you for it. And it's by His workmanship. workmanship. So you just stand there and say, I have been made to do what God's called me to do. And I'm, I'm going to be good at it. I'm going to be really good at it. Father, what you called me to do, I'm going to be, good. I'm going to be the best at it. Because you've made me to be this. What we have is by God's mercy and, and grace. Everything we have is by, by God's mercy and grace. I didn't deserve it. He called me to do a particular thing. It's not because I earned it or deserved it. It was way before I was even born. It's by His mercy and by His grace. Keeping that in mind at all times keeps me humble. Not telling people I'm nobody. That's not what keeps me humble. But keeping all those things in mind, that keeps me humble. A thankful person is not prideful. And a prideful person is not thankful. A thankful person is not prideful. And a prideful person is not thankful. There's a pastor who was given an award for humility. A week later, the congregation took it away because he put the award up in his office. You all have this idea that if you're going to be humble, humble people, don't advertise anything. Don't, don't talk about anything. That's not right. You can certainly say, I can do that. I'm good at that. I am good at that. There's nothing wrong with that. I Know what you're good at. Just know God equipped me to do this thing. For David, God equipped me to kill giants. I didn't know that till now, but now I know it. God's equipped me to kill giants. I'm going to go out there and kill one, just to show you. And, and David was anointed to kill giants from that point on. He got them all. James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace, but he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is such a good phrase. It's repeated. First Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to, to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. People who do not submit to their elders, who do not submit to the folks that they do, are prideful people and are not in candidate to be humble. There is submission. There must be. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We repeat that again. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The word there, resist, is actually a wartime term. God uses all His warfare, all His His machinery for warfare against the proud. I don't want to be the proud. I want to be the humble. Now again, over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks when? We are always to give thanks. If we always give thanks... And I cannot be walking in pride when I am giving thanks because prideful people want to give thanks to themselves. Humble people give thanks to God. I'm always giving thanks. Just always walking on down the street giving thanks. Thank you, Father God. I thank you for the life that I live. I thank you for the job that I have. I thank you for the talents and abilities that you give me. I thank you for the anointing of God that is on me to do what I have been called to do. I thank you that you are moving me in more and more things. I thank you for the knowledge of God that you give me. I thank you for the understanding of scriptures that I have. Just keep going on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All comes from Him. 
But he gave it to me and I use it. Romans 11.6 For if by grace it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. In other words, it's either by grace or it's by work. One or the other. You either get the thing by grace or you get it by, by work. It's going to be one way or the other. How many have ever heard somebody say, I gave this to them and they did this back to me. I gave them this and I didn't get this back. Well, then you didn't truly give it to them, did you? If you truly gave something to someone, then what should be coming back? Nothing. Nothing. A lot of times we are saying, well, I gave this to God and God didn't do this for me. Then you didn't give it to Him. It's a work. You work by giving God this, expecting God to work on your behalf. You're in a works mentality. A giving mentality just says, here you go, and you walk away. Don't think of it again. Don't think of it again. Don't have that works mentality. Don't get in, stay, stay with the grace mentality. Whatever I have, God has given me. Whatever I have, I just give back to God. And don't get into that mentality that says, well, I gave this to God. I did this for God. God should come through with me and do this for me. God could at least do this. That's a works mentality and it snuck in on you. And that's the forerunner to getting you into a prideful mentality and God resists the proud. That's why the devil wants to get you in on that. He wants to get God resisting you. Now, stay in the thankful area. Stay in the area that says, I know my God has given me all these things. I know my God equips me to do all these things. I know my God is great. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, every good word and work. He has given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Folks, just, just come to the understanding. Whatever I have, it's by grace. Whatever talent, whatever ability God has given me, it's by His grace. Whatever knowledge I have of His Word, it's by His grace. Whatever understanding I have in praise and worship, Whatever I'm able to accomplish in the area of prayer, it is by grace. There is nothing I have that is by my works. It's all by grace. Thank you, Father God, for bestowing that upon me. Thank you, Father God, for giving me that. And we just walk in an attitude that says, thank you, thank you, thank you. Always being thankful. How can you get prideful? You can't, so you stay in the humble area, and God gives what to the humble? Grace. If you already have grace, why do you need more? How many, how many of you want more to be going on in your life? More, more things of God, more knowledge of God. It all comes by grace. Yes. What you want is more grace. Yes. Father God, I thank you for the grace you've given me. I want more. I want some more grace. Give me some more grace. Tell me more about you. And you don't sit there and say, you should tell me more about you. I should know more about you. Because look at how much I've studied. Look how many times I've read the Bible. Look at how much time I spend in prayer. You should be doing this. You should be, don't be telling this to a person over here. You should be telling me about it. No, it's not by works, it's by grace. If we stay in that mentality, we stay thankful. We maintain that attitude of thankfulness. We, we, we stay out of the area of pride. The devil can't get us in. See, one of the ways he wants to get us to be resisted by God is to get us into pride. And so he wants to get us to stop being thankful. It's his goal. That's why God says, always give thanks. Give thanks always. Always be giving thanks. How many times have we looked over to the scriptures to talk to, about, talk to us about that? Be a giver of thanks. Always. Because if you stay on guard to always be giving thanks, pride will not be able to take root. And God will never have to resist you. But to the humble, He gives grace. To be thankful always is to always remain humble and a recipient of His grace. Ah, oh, that's where we want to be. Always stay humble. Not by being fake humble. Not by being one who denies what they have, what strong things they have going on. No, don't be one of those. Recognize 
who you are, what God has called you to. Recognize you're a giant killer. Once you see what God's called you to do. I just love the way David looks at his old occupation. I am no longer a shepherd boy. I am now a killer of giants. This is what I do. But he's always stay thankful. Stay thankful with God. Oh, it's so important that we maintain that. Would you all stand up with me? Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. Let's bow our heads. I'm sure we all can think of times that we've gotten into pride, gotten out of the area of grace, gotten out of the area of being thankful. Thank God. All we need to do is repent. And it all gets fixed up again. God says, come to me, repent. He receives us. Glory be to God. Anything has gone on with your life, you felt yourself being pulled over there. You're always working, always holding it to God. God, how can you not doing this for me? Look what I've done for you. You're in a works area. You need to repent of that. Get over into the thankful area. Get back into the spot and say, Father God, I thank you. Look at this talent and ability you've given me. Look at the time you've given me to develop that talent and ability. Look at the knowledge of the Word of God that you've given me. Always be mindful of what God has brought you through. Always be mindful of it. How many of you years ago didn't know that Jesus Christ was not only your Savior, He was your healer? How many didn't know the work of faith? How many weren't around people who encouraged you in your walk of faith? How many weren't around a place that encouraged you to tap into the realm of the Spirit? A dive in stronger. that gets you hungrier for the, for the Spirit of God. What was your outlook like of the Word of God some years ago? What's it like now? That's the grace of God has brought you along. The grace of God has helped you along. Be thankful. Father God, I thank you for the things you've done in my life that have taught me who you are. Oh, I look forward to the things that are in the future. What you're teaching me in the future. Oh, Father, I used to worship you. So elementary. It's so much better now. Oh, and it's going to get better in the future. You're going to make me an even greater worshiper of you. Oh, Father, the prayers I used to pray, they were nothing compared to how I know to pray with you now. Thank you for the help that you give me. Thank you for the people you sent along my path to teach me how to pray, to teach me how to worship, teach me how to study the Word, teach me how to learn the Word. Oh, thank you for those people. Thank you for what you have made me into now. And thank you what you're making me into in the future. Oh, you are, you are taking me to some neat places. Oh, we just always got to be thankful. Remain thankful. Don't get all gloomy about where you are and how, oh, but things just could be better. Oh, but things just aren't the way they ought to be. We're in complaining. And as soon as we get into that mode, we are setting the stage, paving the way to go in the way of pride. And we know how God deals with that. And the devil loves it. Oh, the devil, he'll just keep on feeding that way. Now, stay in the way of thanksgiving. Stay in the way of thanksgiving. Glory be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, yeah. Bow your heads with me. Father God, we thank you that we can have a relationship with you. It's through the grace of God. We didn't have to earn it, deserve it. We didn't have to be good enough to get saved. All we had to do was say, oh, I need a Savior. And Jesus showed up to help us out. Thank you, Father, for the grace of God. There is not a soul here who was born in any better condition to receive. We were all born in a terrible state. But you redeemed us. You bought us back. You paid the price. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, we give you the praise and the glory for it. We thank you, Lord, that you have taken us on. We look back on the things that you have brought us through. All such victories. Let us always be mindful of the victories you have brought us through. And understand that there are more victories to come. Let us not get bogged down with the circumstances that face us with the giants that are in our way. But let us look on and say, My God will deliver me from any enemy that comes against His anointed. For God defends His anointed. God defends His anointed. Glory to God. I am the anointed of God. God has anointed me. And anyone who comes against me comes against Him. Anything that comes against me comes against Him. Oh, glory to your name. Father, we can always remain thankful. Always be mindful of how great our God is. Oh, we give you glory. We thank you, Father, for it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus.
Praise the name of Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Father. Well, as you go out this week, always be mindful. Keep yourself going on that, that area. Be always thankful to Him. Be always giving praise to Him. Stay in that mode constantly. Keep putting yourself in there. Put notes up. Put signs up. Whatever you got to do. Keep yourself in that area. Because God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Oh, I want more grace. How about you? We got enough grace to get us saved, but there's so much more grace out there. So much more grace out there. Every gift of God is a grace gift. Let's walk in more grace. You can walk in so much grace and prophesy to a level. You can walk in more grace and prophesy to a greater level. You can walk in more grace and be be a worker of miracles. Speaker of things that are to come. That's the grace of God. There's nothing we did that deserved it. Nothing we did that earned it. It's the grace of God. Hallelujah. Let's walk in that grace. Let's have a good week coming up. And let's hear some testimonies. Didn't have any testimonies today. Get some testimonies. Make sure you let people know. Have a prayer request. Are you facing something during the week and it seems to be more than you can take care of or the Spirit of God is just telling you, handle it this way. Get hands laid on you. Come into church. Let one of the others know, I'm, I'm ready to have hands laid on me today. You will not leave until we lay hands on you. We will do so. But ask. Put a demand on the Spirit. Don't wait for people to come over to you and say, oh, can I pray for you for that? No, put a demand on it yourself. People came to Jesus and said, pray for me for this. Ask, they, they came and they asked for things. Ask of God. It's a grace gift. Yeah, but I'm not good enough. That's why it's a grace gift. God, grace in healing, grace in power, grace in understanding, grace in all these areas. Let's walk with Him in those, in those things. Amen.